latest episode of the Brushwaters Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brushwaters Union, Simon Berman. This month, I'm joined by Graham Davey. You may know him from his work on Test of Honor, O200 Hours, or his time at Games Workshop many years ago. So, uh, Graham, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I'm really stoked to talk to you. Um, you've made some great games the last few years, and I can't wait to hear all about them. All right, great to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. So, um, Graham, tell me about yourself. You know, you you're you're in the Nottingham Lead Belt. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, how, how what's what's your history with gaming? You know, how did you how did you get into it, and uh, how did you get into um, the industry? Oh well, um, going going right back to I don't know about kind of nine ten years old. I guess there was a little little hobby shop in the town where I lived and it had one a single a single well it was kind of a model shop I guess it had a single rack of Citadel miniatures um, which I started buying the odd one or two and painting them with old kind of humbrol uh, oil paint hor those horrible oil paints that used to paint oh no the old enamels and stuff yeah um, uh, and I guess it grew from there. I had an uncle who was into wargaming who kind of encouraged me. Um, uh, then, you know, D&D at school uh, grew, grew that kind of interest. Um, and then it kind of kind of went away as I was, as I grew up and teenage years and university and stuff. Um, and then I suddenly found myself kind of quite fed up with what I was doing um, and applied for a job in the one with a local store games workshop store um, and worked there for a little while and and after about nine months I think there was a an advert to work on White Dwarf which I applied for and uh, ended up not actually getting that one but but kind of ended up in the editorial department in, in the in the design studio and it kind of things <laughs> developed and took off from there right so i have a question you know, so you, you mentioned you had um, a family member who was into wargaming yeah and uh, what kind of wargaming was that um it was well i know he there was a lot of historical at the time but he he was also doing um some fantasy stuff as well i think it was i think it was mainly historical i remember um going to a a big show it was the southeast london warlords which is still going um and pushing around a big block of kind of i don't know war of the roses armored knights or something like uh -huh. that <laughs> um and using a very complicated chart to work out what happened not really knowing what the hell was happening but yeah really enjoying it anyway very cool so what was what was it about the experience that that you know captured your imagination was there anything in particular was it the the table the models uh, i don't remember the, the table okay. anything special sure um so i think it was all about the models um i started i think the next year i went back and and managed to and enter the painting competition and do very badly i'm sure um uh with my kind of poorly painted 
like D and D adventurer model or something. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think it was the just the models and just the the idea of the worlds it unlocked. It was it was always the um, the fantasy side of it that that hooked me in from uh, uh-huh. from that point. I think. Well, that's cool. So you were working at GW and, and um, you got the job job, job at uh, White Dwarf. What, what were you doing with them? And what, well, what round one was that? Um, initially, I went in uh, into the editorial department. So I learned how to kind of edit and proofread all the books. And we were laying out the uh, all those fairly early codexes. And this was about the time of uh gorka morka <laughs> so like late I 90s you remember that yeah that i was, remember gorka i bought gorka morka yes that was being developed developed in the studio while i was there so everyone was kind of scratch building little buggies and uh-huh. having crazy time playing games at lunchtime <laughs> um, uh and then and then i switched over to white dwarf pretty much when paul sawyer t- took over um, so most most of Paul's time as editor, I was there as well. Yeah. So you were doing sort of copy editing stuff, or were you doing managerial editing, or? Uh, it it developed over over the years. I kind of became uh, more senior and did did ended up as kind of I can't remember if I was called deputy editor, but it was something. It was broadly something like that. Um, yeah. And uh, you know scheduling and and boring stuff is uh, you know a bit more responsibility um trying to keep paul organized because he wasn't the most <laughs> sure <laughs> i think that's it Run, running a magazine is a, a lot of work i've uh, i haven't done it myself but i've been adjacent to it and uh, i have a pr- pretty good idea of what goes into it so what, what were uh, was there anything about that time with the magazine you, you stood out with you was anything you really enjoyed doing um well, there was a lot of battle reports, which were always lots of fun. That was very interesting. Um, it was uh, it was just overall it was a great way to kind of learn about the the uh, the industry and and kind of how how it was working and like the yeah. business side of it as well was quite important. I remember being um, uh, we brought out. And the, the first plastic dreadnoughts came out and we'd done this lovely spread full of pictures of all the different chapter dreadnoughts all on kind of storming through terrain uh-huh. um, and one of the big bosses alan Merritt, who you may have heard of um came on and just yelled at us because we hadn't thought to include any space marines <laughs> um, and he, he explained to us quite loudly that um, the point of releasing a plastic dreadnought was to sell more plastic space marines. <laughs> um, uh, so <laughs> lots of you kind of when you're in the thick of it, you kind of got often got lost in the detail, I guess. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, uh, there was a. Uh, another incident much 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 later um for one of the fairly recent tyranid codexes um this is before before the latest edition the pre probably the um 
and uh, one of the games developers had come up with this idea of the Turvigan, which was going to be a lovely big new plastic kit. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was kind of the counterpoint to the Hive Tyrant, uh, so the Hive Tyrant was the, the father of the Hive Fleet and the of your army, uh, the Turvigan was the mother, essentially. Yeah. Um, so he naturally put it in HQ. Um, and again, we had another shouting at, um, because putting that brand new, very, very expensive plastic kit in HQ limited how many anyone could buy. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, so they actually, I think they'd already printed the codex and they had to reprint it. Which oh, no. <laughs> wow. To, to change it and put it into one of the other slots as well. Um, so yeah, sort of re- an education. <laughs> yeah, um, that's sort of revealing about the the um, the economics of, of game manufacturing itself, right? Because it's 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 cheaper to reprint the whole codex um, in order to sell some more of those models. That's where the profit really is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously, it's that's uh, uh, kind of sounds like it's very kind of commercial and cutthroat and that is very important obviously um clearly there's a very strong creative side and i wouldn't yeah want to put that down as well um which you know the 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 worlds and the artwork and the amazing sculpting clearly is a vital side of everything right um but having gone on to into smaller businesses and eventually running my own business all those little lessons have kind of percolated away in my brain and been quite helpful along the line yeah it's, it's amazing how you can kind of pick things up over the years like that um so when you were uh you were editing a games workshop and at some point you decided to kind of strike out on your own or did you move to another company from there um i i uh left games workshop and ended up at after a little while at warlord games um which is uh, fully fully well at the time at least was completely historical so that was quite quite new for me um um with bolt action and uh pike and shot hail caesar and various other games yeah um so a lot to learn with the historical side of things, because um, I mean you, you you think your forty k players are um, keen on all the law, but historical players are are the pinnacle of wanting things to be exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a blessing and a curse for historical gaming. I think. Yes, I mean it is such a rich uh, vein, and it. Um, I think there's a there's a something fantastic about historical gaming in, in that it's you know that it's real. Um, you know, you can have bigger and bigger space marines, but but there's something about knowing that you're representing an actual guy who actually went and fought and bled. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and a lot of us have got older relatives who who fought um you know ancestors and things um so it 
it lends a kind of real weight and a gravitas to when you're playing yeah playing particularly kind of fairly you know second world war stuff like that yeah absolutely yeah uh my uh grandma my grandfather on my my father's side the american one um was actually he was a, a cook in uh Patton's army uh so he was over there but yeah his his, uh, his nickname was burnt berman actually so I think any <laughs> yeah. casualties were probably friendly fire but uh <laughs> <laughs> well, i yeah, had it, a um well i don't i don't know if it's a great well, anyway a relative little way up a few ways up was uh served on um a uh, a submarine hunter ship in the Atlantic, oh, wow. uh, and, and managed to destroy a submarine by ramming it. Wow! <laughs> I think he That's was pretty... a, he was a stoker or something. He was just shoveling coal down the bottom. Yeah, that still must have been terrifying. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, my uh, my other grandfather, who's who was English, uh, my mother's uh, English. Uh, he claims to have shot down a Messerschmitt in his uh, in his. Uh, farmland with a rifle but i think that's wow. a little a little dubious uh but uh that's those, those are my world war ii claims to fame uh, cooking and a uh personal combat shotgun rifle attack <laughs> brilliant yeah <laughs> i i am sure he saw a messerschmitt down uh whether he was involved i think is a little more questionable <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I, history, historical game is, is interesting. There, you, you can find those those very personal connections to it. Um, you know, even when you go back, you know, pretty far in history, you, you know, if you, if you're like, do a little bit of research about your own family and where you were, but, but even if not, I think that the research aspect of what really has always appealed to me about it is, you know, you, you get to learn something as you're doing your project. Well, yes, again, the, you know, how many 40k novels they write, there's still so much more to find out about real real world stuff. Um, it's always got so much more depth and nuance, um, and it's just fascinating kind of reading about all the different things that happen. Yeah. So while you were at Warlord, what, what were you doing with Warlord? Um, I went in, well, after I left Games Workshop, I kind of taught myself kind of web design stuff, things like that. Um, so I actually went in to help with their website um and kind of help kind of develop that um so i ended up in the kind of marketing team bit um so we were doing all the kind of promotional side the newsletters um as well as actually kind of doing all the design on the website itself as well that's again, cool. again all kind of <laughs> useful experience that's uh built up and and been very useful in the long run yeah sure and uh what were there any games that particularly captured your your attention at warlord um well bolt action is uh it was easily easily the most popular um warlord game and still is as far as i know um but it was i, I was there when we created test of honor um so uh, a friend of mine who i work with andy hobday and i just started messing around with the idea of doing some uh samurai game because we we knew each other from doing the martial art of aikido oh cool um and i think inevitably doing a japanese martial art you kind of 
develop an interest in a bit of Japanese history and yeah. samurai and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so we started playing around with some mechanics and things, and it kind of <laughs> kind of snowballed quite quickly yeah. until we worked out a uh, a little system, and we were playing some games after work. Um, and it just it was just a random coincidence that Warlord around that time acquired a load of plastic sets um, from a company called Wargames Factory, which included some samurai. And they wanted mm-hmm. something to do with them. And they said, can we use your game? Yeah. And we obviously jumped at the chance. And I yeah. uh, spent uh, a lot of time kind of writing it all up and, and turning it into an actual publishable game. And I know something about it was went very well. Uh, I think it was a much smaller scale thing than anything else Warlord did at the time. Um, you know, you only need 10, 15 models aside. It was a smaller table, only take maybe an hour to play. So, so it didn't feel like a big. Uh, it's not a massive commitment of time or money to, to try it out and and, mm-hmm. and get into it and play it. So um, so I think because of that, people were happy to give it a go and, and evidently quite liked it. Yeah, um, I, I found Test of Honor a little bit late. Um, I missed the Kickstarter. It just, it just flew under my radar somehow. And uh, our local historical convention uh, in the, uh, the Seattle-Tacoma area is called Enfilade. Um, in Olympia, Washington, and that year I went, and my good buddy Marky, uh, he had gone deep on the Kickstarter, and he, he'd gotten, I think, just about everything you could get through the Kickstarter, and uh, he was basically hosting games, uh, basically running running unpaid demos, just because he liked it so much, and he had all this really nice um, terrain built up, and he put on this game for me and a buddy, and I was like, this is this is the coolest skirmish game I've played in years, and that's a, that's a statement I stand by, I think that, that Test of Honor is just, <laughs> just an incredible game. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we both, we, I think, I think Warlord had a little booth or no, it was a, lo- a local retailer had a booth with a bunch of Warlord stuff and we, we, we yeah. emptied out their test of honor stuff immediately. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it's just a fantastic game. I'd love to hear, you know, what went into the development of it because I think it's, it, it's so dynamic and fast paced and it just does all the things that a samurai game should do, but it's, it's a fun skirmish game in general. I'd love to hear more about, you know, what were your inspirations for and where'd you, where'd you start with it? Um, well, a big part of it was simply that we both liked uh, the old black and white Kurosawa samurai movies, um, like Seven Samurai, um, and it was just that kind of fantastic idea of this amazingly skilled swordsman who was whirling around cutting down ten guys with ease. Um, and I, I was trying to evoke that kind of moment on the battlefield, really. That was where it all came from. Um, so because of that, I kind of instantly started off with a mechanic where you never got stuck in combat. Um, you never cut once you're most, most games I've played up to that point, once you, once you're in combat, you're kind of stuck there. Yeah. Um, so I immediately moved away from that. That was one of the first I- ideas 
um, to forget that you were never stuck. You would always kind of spin around and attack someone else instantly. Um, and uh, that was kind of the, the starting point, I guess. And that, that just seemed to, to click with everyone and, and kind of evokes that, that idea quite well. Right, because when you when your models end in a melee combat, they they one of them one of the other gets pushed back, so you're you're out of the combat immediately. Isn't isn't if I recall yes. correctly, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and if you if you've uh, made a particularly good roll, then you you immediately get to uh, cut cut down that first guy and attack again, and you can potentially kind of carry on with a big string of kills if you have yeah have, have enough luck. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, what I think so fun about the game is often enough when you're playing it, you know, your, your, your first couple of rounds, you know, your, your, your cannon fodder guys with, you know, your Ashigaru and so forth are, are moving forward and they're maybe, you know, stabbing each other a little bit. And then one of the samurai finally gets into combat. And it's just a bloodbath. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's very satisfying. <laughs> well, yeah, I, again, I kind of see those, the Ashigaru and the, the other kind of low level guys as, really the the extras in the film the canon exactly yeah <laughs> um uh so it's quite um uh cinematic focused, focused in that way that you simply yeah. have your, your your one hero who's like the lead character of the film um a couple of companions who were probably the supporting cast uh, and everyone else is yeah. is mainly there to die. Um, yeah, and I think no, there's it... also a lovely simplicity in that you you don't get any of those special extra rules unless you roll a particularly good roll for them. So the basic the basic game is super simple and so quick to learn. Um, and I think that's been a part of its success as well. It's just. And it wasn't particularly by design. I think I lucked out a bit, to be honest. Um, but uh, it's it's worked out well. I've learned a lot from it and tried to carry that through to to more recent things. Yeah, um, you know, and you, you had that great starter box that came out with all those 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 awesome plastics from uh, from War Games Factory via Warlord, I guess. Um, and uh, that you know the, the uh, you sort of partnered with um, is it Footsore who was doing the uh, the, the metal miniatures. Uh, they they do my casting. Um, yeah. Uh, we it's it's a complicated situation because uh, Andy, who um, kind of conceptualised the game with me, uh, was is one of the directors of Footsaw. Um, they do my casting and kind of stock the game as well. Um, so it's it's a little bit complicated. Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's the reality of small miniatures publishing, I think. Yes, yeah, it's you know yeah. we all kind of help each other out as much as we can. Um, uh, I work a lot with Sarissa now, kind of who makes some amazing MDF laser cut terrain, and they I, I, for quite a while I was kind of running the company entirely on my own, doing assembling everything. Uh, sending out all the orders, um, and thankfully now I've, I've I've kind of farmed that that bit out to Sarissa, so everything lives in their warehouse now. Oh, that's um, great. 
and they send out my orders for me, which is a great. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Actually, I was hoping to talk about Sarissa Precision because, you know, I think one of the, you know, the, the sort of, maybe not secret, but uh, unspoken pillars of the success of Tesla is those really amazing um, feudal Japanese terrain kits they put out. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I think the, the great thing is, is, as long as if you play, you know, certainly anything historical or a lot of other games, you're going to have some trees and some hills and some hedges and uh, a few basic walls and and all you needed was two or three buildings with a lovely Japanese style and a lovely Tori arch. To, to, yeah. And and you had a fantastic looking board. You didn't need to buy a full set of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just you can really set the scene. And I mean, some people have done the most stunning thing. It's amazing, but um, castles and and ornamental ponds full of koi and. Yeah, it's incredible thing. Yeah, no, it's my 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 friend Marky who who demoed the game for uh, for me and my friend Lars the first time we played uh, at Enfilad. You know, he had uh, he had a very simple table. You know, he he painted up a bunch of the plastics from the box kit and he he kind of kit bashed his samurai characters out of it a little bit. Um, but you know, he he had a, this really beautiful table with you know he maybe like two or three painted uh, Sarissa buildings um, and some trees and stuff. But you know he. It, it was so immersive, and you know he he'd actually he'd um he'd got little um miso soup bowls to keep the uh, the go tokens and that he was we were using for the activations <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. And it was it was it was it was just such a great little compact experience, and th- that that terrain really stuck with me. And when I found out it was it was, if not part of the game itself, re- sort of readily available in partnership with it, I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. I got I got to get get into this. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. It's a very uh different and kind of evocative uh look with you know the that old ancient japanese samurai style and the architecture uh, it's very different to anything western it's really it's really beautiful i think i think yeah. that's one of the elements that appeals about it absolutely um so you you test is now in its second edition that came up it was about three years ago yeah so it again slight slightly complex we i i ended up no longer in Warlord. Uh, so did Andy, um, both doing different things, but um, uh, we had the option to kind of take, carry on controlling the game. Um, so we agreed that with Warlord. Uh, and I essentially set up my company in order to publish the second edition and carry on, carry on working on it. Um, so we that that was the only reason we needed to do a second edition so so quickly but but it allowed me to tweak a few things um add in a a few more elements of kind of the honor and dishonor aspects in the game mm-hmm. uh, and kind of take taking it on from there and it's uh, it's gone from strength to strength yeah and the the, the miniatures only become more and more beautiful that you've been putting out for it who does your sculpting? Um, the early ones were by Rob McFarlane, who's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in over lockdown, I started teaching myself to sculpt. Um, so the more recent ones are me. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's very cool. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've kind of taught myself to digitally sculpt um 
with kind of Rob Rob's work as an inspiration and a guy, yeah. uh, and he's been he's been very helpful uh, with some advice. Um, uh, so yeah, all the the latest stuff is is done by me, um, and again that's that in itself has been a, a big learning curve. I feel like I I'm still very very slow. I know Rob churns churns things out sure. ten times faster than me. Um, uh, but uh, so I go, I go very slowly. Um, that's the main thing holding me back. But um, uh, but but I'm, I'm I'm yeah I'm I'm happy with my progress. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're I, they're 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 very beautiful figures. Um, you've got so many sort of just evocative characters and sets. You know, how, how do you how do you choose what you want to see on the table? Uh, well, that's probably the hard the hardest bit of running the business is deciding which idea to actually work on and and make into make a reality uh because you inevitably have a i have notebooks and notebooks full of sketches and ideas and scribbles and um so 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 yes that's that's probably the hardest thing yeah uh, i do try to find a niche or something that's not been uh, done too exhaustively before. Um, uh, try and find something a bit new, a different angle, something that's characterful, or um, or so. So we're not just covering the same ground that certainly that other historical companies have already done um, as much as possible. Uh, which is challenging in the historical world because yeah. <laughs> everything's been done done one way or another before. But um, but that's always what I strive for is to kind of find a, a slightly new angle. Right on. Is, is there a model you're particularly proud of in the line? Uh, I like the latest set, which is for Test of Honor, which is the Rogues, of, Rogues and Ruffians. Um, uh, I had uh, my favorite model probably is there's a, a drunk guy who's who's armed with the musket. He's the one who's got the musket. Yeah. Um, uh, and he, but he's at the same time he's having a big swig swig from a sake bottle. So it's think, one of my favorites too. I need to get that uh, set. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then some of the uh, newer. Uh, Second World War stuff that I've done, I'm quite pleased with as well. Yeah, actually, let's talk about that. So that, that's your more most recent uh, game. That's all you was on Kickstarter, what, about a year ago? And that's 0200 hours? Yes, yeah. Uh, not Kickstarter, actually. We just uh, kind of release into... Oh, good for you. <laughs> into retail. So, yeah, I haven't, I haven't gone that route. Um, but, yeah, that's my, my uh, first kind of entirely my game, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. 0200 hours, which is about um, kind of SAS raids in World War II, uh, specifically at night. Um, so I wanted to, again, I guess it was inspired in, in a lot of ways by, by films and, and movies. Uh, and that kind of real idea of sneaking around at night. Um, trying to kind of silent, do silently take down some of the 
wandering sentries before they even know you're they're under attack. Um, yeah. And then eventually someone steps on a twig or gives the game away and the alarm goes Dog off. Barks, and big firefight breaks out and all hell breaks loose and yeah yeah again that the, the whole the whole game really is is centered centered around those few few minutes uh, that's what i wanted to create um uh so that led me to working out how the hell to kind of really do stealth properly in a game that, that uh -huh. became the kind of mechanical goal um where you know in most most war games you you can see where where everyone is so if if you try and send your guys around in a flank a sneaky flank attack around 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 the side of a building well i can see them i'll just move some guys to cut them off no problem um so it was about kind of working out how i could make that work so you can do that sneaky stealth attack and i can't react to it unless certain things happen and you give the game away sure yeah it's cool it's funny um a good friend of mine chris uh he just bought the whole set um and it, it's it's funny because chris notoriously hates night fighting rules in war games he, <laughs> um they, they make him crazy um but he he posted he's like you know anyone who knows me knows that i hate i hate night fighting but i'm really excited this because i like world war i like world war ii games and it's it's a game all about night fighting. It's not night fighting rules sort of, you know, ham-fistedly put into another game. And he's he hasn't played it, but I know he's very excited to, take, to get it because it's 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 going to let him do night fighting, but not in a way that he hates. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, um, but I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, it, it, it's an apt thing for you. Know, you, you often do see night fighting rules added to other war games lists, and it's often not all that immersive or, you know, it, it's kind of clunky. And I think the the fact that you kind of stripped it down to the basis of it, this is going to be a game about night fighting, maybe let you approach it from a different way, didn't it? Yes, very much. I mean, everything I'd seen previously was really, you know, a random roll to see how far you could shoot. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much it. Um, but never stop you walking in that direction, straight towards that sneaking guy. Um, so it was became about putting some limits on not just where you could shoot but how how you move around in the first place um so you're kind of using direction rolling the dice to see what the direction you can go in um and the the concept became um every time you do any kind of action there's chance of if you roll the wrong dice of giving away your position um, mm -hmm. at which point people can start reacting to you and moving towards you and ultimately shooting at you um, but until that point you're hidden so it's kind of switching things around and so the the default position in the game is that you don't know where where anyone is yeah um, so it's kind of coming at it from the other direction i guess no, that's, that's very cool. So is, is it very scenario-based then? Uh, yeah, there are some quite a lot of different scenarios. The Obviously, the, the game is always attacker and defender. Mm -hmm. um, so the uh, defender at the start of the game has quite limited control about what they can do. Their, sent, their sentries are going around a preset patrol route marching around 
um, uh-huh. and only start to deviate from that if they manage to spot the attackers. Um, at the same time, that the defender player gets to play little event cards which spice things up and and can tri- trip up the attackers, like make them get caught on the barbed wire or go the wrong way or suddenly change the direction of the of the sentry's patrol route and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, so uh, here's a question. Um, when you were making Test of Honor, it seemed like sort of the, the the most exciting moment in the game is when those samurai, you know, finally meet or begin hacking their way through the crowd. Is there is there a turning point moment in O two hundred hours like that for you where like the game really becomes what it's about? Uh, I think it's that moment because there, there's a, a system for the alarm uh, as an alarm level so the defenders start off calm they don't know anything's happening then there's a level where this, they're suspicious so they're they're a bit more alert but they still don't know that necessarily anything bad's happening um, and then ultimately the alarm goes off and all hell breaks loose um, the defenders get a load more reinforcements come on um, and can at that point can start shooting shooting freely and, and attacking the defenders and suddenly things can swing very quickly back in the other direction um, so i guess that's that that key cinematic moment is that sure so is, is it possible for the attacker to not set off the alarm like can, can you win just through stealth it is technically possible it's pretty rare yeah um because the the longer they the longer they take, the the alarm level kind of ticks up gradually every turn anyway. Um, gotcha. Because they're, they're around and the risk kind of mounts up. And I guess maybe it's getting lighter. Um, sure. So the game is kind of uh, skewed with the intent that that will happen at some point. There's going to be a firefight at some point. Yes, because it's because it's more fun. It, but oh yeah, it's not it's not impossible. I've seen people post up on the on the Facebook group that that's happened. And uh, so it's a very storytelling game. Sometimes it it goes heavily one, um, heavily well for one side and sometimes the other. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you, it's, um, if you're into just very evenly matched tournament style games, then maybe it's not for you. Sure. Uh, but it's, if you're happy to kind of, uh see it as a as a film scene i guess um a movie scene and and what happens happens and enjoy it and it's yeah it's a fairly competitive game but um it can be <laughs> it can be yeah. swingy and some sometimes it goes horribly wrong sure i mean that's half the fun in those movies though right when the when the plan finally goes wrong yes yes exactly uh either right or wrong in fact there's a one of the cards the defenders can play is called "It's a Trap," um, <laughs> and uh, awesome. the, the mission immediately changes to just trying to get out alive. <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, because I mean, you know, the, the Great Escape is a great movie, but you know, the fun really starts when you know everything goes wrong, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, actually, here's a question: Have you had any? What's your favorite moment from a game of O two hundred that you've played? Uh it's um i played a a really fun game with the guys at war games illustrated magazine 
Um, and um, a bit unfair because I was I was playing the attackers and clearly I was the one who knew what I was doing. Um, uh, but my uh, captain just managed was trying to. Uh, but there was a a big radar dish in the middle of the table that was the objective to blow up. Um, and he just most spectacularly managed to sneak through all the chaos, climb on the roof of this thing and drop the explosive charges into it and then <laughs> coolly jump off and kind of walk off into the distance. Uh, <laughs> awesome. That's very yeah. cool. Um, so what it was, so you, you, you've really kind of your starter set for it. I think you put out a set of uh, partisan figures as well, right? Yes, that's the that's the latest um, expansion box, which is the, the those are the first ones that I've sculpted myself for that oh, game. Cool. Um, so yeah, the partisans are weaker, as you'd imagine, are are not quite as fighty as as the SAS models that you can use. Sure, um, but they get um, a new mechanic called plan cards, so you can work out uh cunning a cunning plan essentially before you <laughs> before you start the game um so you might be planning to cut cut the power so all the lights go off um or put down sausages to distract the guard dogs uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so essentially you get to draw a few random ones of these and choose which ones you're going to try and use and, and make use of uh, oh, that's cool. And that uh, um, off, offsets their kind of slight lack of fighting prowess. Mm -hmm. they're, they're really fun figures, too. I, I'm, I, I, one of my favorite things in wargaming is when you get figures that aren't straight-up military guys. Like, I, I love how characterful partisans and civilian characters can be, and you really nailed it with that. Yeah, I think... Me, too, really. I think what I really enjoy most is, is kind of finding those really interesting character characters and, and creating models from them um, and that, that partisan set was a was a great opportunity for that the like, little guy operating the radio hidden in the suitcase and things like that uh-huh yeah no they're, they're just a lot of fun I, and I can see them being you know great for use in like lots of other pulp gaming and stuff too they're really versatile figures yeah and and actually a lot of people I think uh Taking the the stealth mechanics and using them for other. Oh <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I need I need to give it a shot. I just haven't had the chance to play it, but it, it sounds very cool. Yeah, I've um, already seen. Um, there's been a few people already using using the mechanics for for Star Wars with the re rebels on. Oh, nice. <laughs> rebels on the moon of Endor. Yeah, um, sure. Kind of sneaking through the forest past the stormtrooper guards and. Awesome. That's cool. So you've got these two games going on, and you're, they're, they're both currently being supported. That's correct. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about what you might be working on in the future for either of them? If not, that's totally cool too. But uh, always just hear what you got coming up. Yes, the um, I've I've just finished sculpting a new set for Test of Honor, um, which is gonna have some cavalry models in. Um, cool. So. The uh, what we're doing because I've for for O two hundred I've been partnering with War Games Atlantic in America, um, who do some great plastic models, uh, and they have some lovely plastic horses. So um, we're going to be putting those plastic horses in the set, 
um, and doing some very nice riders and some more infantry as well. Um, oh, that's great. Uh, again, trying to go for a very characterful approach rather than just yeah. the straight kind of normal samurai cavalry that you might have seen before. Sure. Um, try, try and hit it from a slightly different angle. Um, went with, of course, loads of cool new cards and rules added, thrown in there as well. Very cool. And uh, for, how about for 0200 hours? Where do, you, where do you see the game going in the future? Um, well, there's again, it's you know, it's it's World War Two, so there's lots of lots of scope to take that in different directions. Um, potentially, uh, the SAS in the desert, the North African desert, is a rich area. Oh yeah, um, that's that's going to be a lot of fun, um, and equally s swapping it round, so you have potentially uh, German paratroopers, say, as the attackers. Maybe kind of parachuting into Britain against the Home Guard or oh, yeah. various other situations. Um, so I think a lot of people are eager to see that. That'd be a lot of fun, absolutely. Cool. Well, Graham, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I'm excited to try out 200 hours and keep playing Test of Honor. Um, if you have any other games you want to talk to me about, I'd love to hear about it in the future. Um, and if you're listening, please go to greyfornowgames.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yep. You can see all of Graham's cool games there, uh, Facebook, etc. So, uh, Graham, thanks again, man. Really appreciate the time. No, it's brilliant. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you. The Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.